We're gonna be continuing in our series, uh, Spirit-Filled Families. We're in week four, we're gonna be talking about Spirit-Filled Homes, so grab your Bible, and let's go to Ephesians chapter six. Ephesians chapter six, and I just wanna confess to you as you're turning there, I am not a parenting expert. Um, in fact, I would say that most people with kids aren't parenting experts. I would say the only parenting experts I've ever met are people who've yet to have children. You've got all the answers. And then when you have children, you don't have any answers, and that's where you kind of are the rest of your life. That's kind of parenting right there in a nutshell. Anybody feel like that in the room? Uh, okay, so the good thing is the, the Bible gives us some really great instructions and guides us in helping us understand this journey of the home life, relationship between parents and children. And that's what we're gonna look at this morning, Ephesians uh, chapter six. We're gonna start reading in verse number one. He says, children... Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So what we see in verses one through four is that Paul is giving instruction to both children and parents that when followed, allows the home to function properly. Like, this is what a spirit-filled home is supposed to look like. Now, some of you may or may not know this, but when God created humanity, the very first institution that God created was the home. The very first, foundational to what God is creating with humanity and what he's wanting us to become is that he builds and creates the home. That God's desire was to be fruitful and multiply and to take a handful of people and turn it into a community and a community into a city, a city into a nation, so there would be people all over who bear his image walking in his way. And so when he wanted to create this mass of people, he starts with the home. And this is important that we understand this, that home is foundational. And what we realize is this, is that when we begin to understand God's design for the family, here's what will happen. Strong homes make strong churches. Strong churches make strong communities. Strong communities make strong cities. Strong cities make strong states. Strong states make strong nations. And so, listen, if you wanna know the root issues of what's happening with us as a nation, you can trace the problem all the way back to the home. And so what God is doing in Christ is he's restoring what's been broken. And so right here, what we're gonna see is when the Holy Spirit is the center, when Christ transforms us and the Holy Spirit fills us, how does it transform the relationship between children and parents and parents to children? And Paul does this by speaking two commands to children and then two commands to parents. Now, notice what's happening here. I wanna re remind you of kind of how this goes down in Ephesians. When Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, this letter, it would have been a letter to the churches in Ephesus. So when they received this letter, here's what they would have done. They would have gathered together in a room like this and someone would have read this letter to the entire congregation. So as Paul is speaking to the church, the church is there and they're receiving and they're listening. So when he gets to chapter six and he starts at chapter six saying, and children, obey your parents in the Lord. Remember this, the children would have been present in the gathering. So think about this wild moment. For them to realize that not only did Paul write the letter and included them, but the Holy Spirit inspired the letter that they're now hearing, and so there they are in the church, and they're receiving a word from the Lord through Paul. Now, here's why that's important. 
I believe that what Paul is doing when he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord and to honor your father and mother, which we'll unpack briefly in a moment, is that he's speaking primarily to believing children. Children who have come to faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Like those who have, have realized they need Christ and have trusted him as Lord and Savior. And here's what we've gotta remember, that every person that receives Jesus Christ as a Lord and Savior, regardless of how young or how old they are, they are made alive and given the gift of the Holy Spirit and now have the capacity to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So when Paul says in Ephesians 5.18, hey, be filled with the Holy Spirit, he's, he's, then he shows us what it looks like when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Now he's speaking to children who have the Spirit, they're expected to be filled with the Spirit, and he says, listen, and as Spirit-filled children, here's my instructions to you. Why is that important? The gospel transforms us from the inside out. The Holy Spirit works in the life of every believer regardless of how young or how old. Now, there's a maturity and a development of how it's fleshed out, but we've gotta understand, and parents, this is as much for you as it is for any of the, the, the kids or, or, or students or children in the room today, is that you, you gotta recognize that if your children are believers, that they have the capacity to obey the instructions given here because they have the Holy Spirit. And you should parent them accordingly. And students, you need to recognize that because you have the Holy Spirit, there are gonna be things that God calls you to do, like at times obeying your parents, that you have the capacity to do because you have the Holy Spirit. So what does a spirit-filled child look like? How do they operate? Two uh, things I wanna show you here in the text. First of all, when a, a child is filled with the Holy Spirit, there will be a spirit-empowered obedience. There will be a spirit-empowered obedience. Look what he says in verse number one. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So there's a command here to obey your parents. What does that mean? It means to do what they say when they say do it. Pretty simple, pretty cut and dry. But I want you to notice the context that we're to obey as children. Children, obey your parents, how? In the Lord. So the emphasis here kids or children, that your relationship with your parents should be driven by your relationship with Jesus. That you obey your parents, not just because they're your parents, but because God has placed them in your life as the authority, and because you're in submission to Jesus, you're gonna be in submission to them. And then he just simply says, I mean, this is just cut and dry. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Why? For this is right. It's just the right thing to do. Colossians is a parallel verse of this, in other words, and Paul is saying something of the same nature in a different way to the church in Colossae. Look what he says in Colossians chapter three, verse 20. He says, children, obey your parents in everything. Everything, everything. Unless it's abusive, immoral, illegal, or some sort of harmful to you, then you get help from somebody, another trusted adult who can step in. But in everything else, it's obey your parents. Doesn't matter how you feel about it. Doesn't matter whether you agree with it. It doesn't matter if you want to. It's we, we obey in everything. And then he says, for this pleases the Lord. And that's why you do it, because it pleases the Lord. So eyes right here for a second. This is for kids and children, rather. I'm gonna use that, that phrase, children. By the way, how many children do we have in the room? Okay, everybody should raise your hand. Unless you didn't have parents at all. Like, and then you're just a miracle, right? So, like, like, everybody is a child in the room. So listen to this. Parents, this would be the expectation for your 
children and, and those of you who are still under the authority of your mom and dad, here's what you've got to recognize. Your relationship with your parents and your obedience or disobedience to what they call you to do is a direct reflection of your relationship with Jesus. So if you are disobedient to your parents and you're rebellious, here's what this means. You're also disobedient to Jesus and rebellious toward him. But when you're obedient to your parents and you submit to them with a joyful heart, not necessarily you like or agree, but you submit to them because of the, you wanna please the Lord. Listen, not only do you obey your parents, you obey Jesus and you please him. It honors him. It's the right thing for you to do. And so parents, one of the things that can help you as, as, as moms and dads is that one of the indicators of whether or not your child has a healthy relationship with Jesus, you, you can really see how much they're growing spiritually in regards to how they respond to you. So it's a great measurement for you to know the, the heartbeat of your child, if they're rebellious or they disrespectful, that, that's an indicator for you that you should look at. So that's number one. It's, it's, this is the first uh, result of the Holy Spirit, spirit-empowered obedience. Here's the second byproduct of the Holy Spirit in the life of a child, spirit-empowered honor. Spirit-empowered honor. Um, he says this in verse two. He says, honor your father and your mother. Now, the word honor there means literally to value or to put a price, a, a price of, of high price on something. So to honor your mom and dad is to value them, is to esteem them with respect and, and dignity and honor. That's the idea, that we are called to do this as children. By the way, how many of you in the room, I'm gonna ask the question again and see if you get it right. How many in the room are children? All right, now everybody, okay. You understand the question now. So here's what this means. Watch this, don't miss this. The first commandment of obedience has an expiration date. You, you age out of that command. There's a day where you become an adult living on your own and you no longer have to walk in obedience. You can still seek advice, but you gotta become your own man or a woman and make decisions based upon the, the leadership of the Lord in your, in your life. There's an expiration date on that. And I would just say, when is that expiration date? I, I'm not gonna give you a day or a time or a year. Here's what I would say to you. If you are living under your parents' roof, roof and you are dependent upon them for your well-being, there should be a level that you are still under this first command to obey them. There's an expectation of that. You're dependent upon them. Now, Prayerfully, if you got a good relationship with your parents, there's gonna be more freedom the older you get and depending on how much dependent you are on them, but there's still a level of authority in your life. But this, this, this idea of honor has no expiration date. So every single one of us are children in the room and therefore this command applies. Children, honor your father and mother. Give value and respect and dignity. Treat them in a way that shows the value that they have in your life because of the position that they hold. This does not have an expiration date. So children that are at home, there should be respect in the way that you deal with your parents, the way you talk to your parents, the way that you disagree with your parents, the way that you obey your parents. Those of you who are adults in the room, there should be a respect in the way that you communicate and disagree with your mom and dad. There should be a, a respect and an honor in the way you talk about them to other people. For those of you whose mom and dad have deceased, they've passed on and they're not here any longer, there should be an honoring of their memory, not dishonoring of their memory. You say, well, what happens if my parents are just jerks and they were not great parents and they weren't really worthy of my respect or honor? Here's the thing I want you to understand. This is for all ages in the room. Listen to this. 
Honoring your father and mother has nothing to do with the behavior. It has everything to do with the position that they hold in your life. That, that whether they were worthy of it based upon their behavior is not what's in question. The question is, did they give birth to you? Did they bring you into this world? And therefore, because of your recognition of that position and place, they might have been terrible at living out what you deserved, and there's a lot of forgiveness and wounds that need to be worked through, and Jesus is bigger than all those things, but there still should be an honoring of them positionally in your life. Honoring them, how you speak to them, how you care for them. As your parents get older, there should be ways in which you care and love them and Help them when they need help. This is a part of honoring. You say, why is this so important? Listen to this, and this is for uh, parents in the room who have children at home. If we don't get this right, it will destroy communities and culture. Because why? why? Unruly children become unruly adults. Disrespectful children become disrespectful adults. It doesn't, it's not like just a, a, a switch gets flipped and all of a sudden, oh man, they're all great and wonderful. No, 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 no. If you watch the pattern of behavior, if you have a family who does not teach their children to obey and honor authority in their life, be it the mom and dad or the school teacher or the coach, here's what's happening. Whatever problems you have at home are being compounded everywhere they go. And there ought to be some teachers and principals and some coaches in the room that say amen to this because here's what happens. Most of the time, bad parenting now puts the burden on all the coaches and teachers and administrators at the school. Now, I'm giving you a perfect example, or opportunity right now to say amen to this if you're in the school system. Thank you, all right? This is a breakdown of the home. I'll never forget the first experience with this. Really, our kids were younger, third grade, fourth grade. We really taught our kids obedience and, and honoring at an early age, and we were on a, on a ball team with some friends and some people we didn't know, and with third grade was like, I think the, the second, third, and fourth grade, there was a third grader who looked at their dad in the middle of a game and they yelled their dad's first name, told their dad to shut up, and to leave her alone, and the dad obeyed. Now, my kids who understand we don't play by those rules at our house, they look at me like, She's about to die. Like, he's gonna kill her. And then when they didn't do anything, they looked and said, oh my gosh, he's not gonna do anything. Like those kids, that kid needs a spanking. And I'm like, no, 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 the daddy needs a spanking. Because what happens is, listen to this, that type of disrespect and behavior only compounds as the person gets older. And listen to this, and the consequences do as well. Part of the reason we are in the state we are in our culture is because we have lost common dignity, honor, and respect for one another. And here's what's happening, parents, listen to this. When you don't properly put these expectations on your children, whether they're believers or not believers, you are robbing them of the blessings that God has for their life. You say, what do you mean? Look what he says in verse two and three. He says, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. 
What's the promise? That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, what Paul is doing is he's reminding us that this command that he's giving kids here or children here to honor their mother and father, he's reminding us that this is actually one of the 10 commandments. Now, this is huge that we get this. Because think about this, God is establishing a nation who's gonna go to this promised land and he says, listen, I'm gonna give you 10 commandments that are gonna define you as my people. This is gonna mark you as belonging to me. In fact, if you'll live according to these 10 commandments, my blessings are gonna be upon you and you're gonna be able to experience all of the grace that I, and the greatness that I have for you in your future. And one of the 10 was that you would honor your mother and father. But Paul is also reminding us, not only is this one of the big 10, but it's the first of the big 10 that actually has a promise attached to it. And here's what he says. Hey, honor your father and mother, and if you do, you'll be able to live a long time in the land. This was a covenant promise. And what does he mean, live a long time in the land? He's talking about the promised land. As you go in the promised land, you live in submission to me. One of those commandments of living in submission to me is honoring your mother and father. Here's what he's saying. If you honor your mother and father, this land of blessing where you get to walk with me, it will be yours for a long time. But if you dishonor your mother and father, you're gonna live a short time in the land. Why? Because there's gonna be a collapse of the home and a collapse of the society, and now you lose the blessing. Listen to me, parents. This, is, this verse is not about your children living a long life. This is about your children experiencing the blessings of obedience to Jesus, of submission, of, 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 of living in that in that position where you recognize that God's way is the best way. This is huge here. So this is the instruction, and parents, we have a responsibility, and I'll just say this, you either do the hard stuff now as parents, or you do the hard stuff later. And the hard stuff later is a lot harder than the hard stuff now, so you either will raise them in this way of knowing the Lord and being filled with the Holy Spirit and living in obedience and honoring you. And, and, and students, listen, you either learn this now the easy way while you're still at home, or you learn it the hard way later on. So as parents, how do we do this? I wanna shift gears to talk to mom and dad for the rest of our time together and for those of you who aspire to be parents one day. So if we do the hard stuff now, what is the hard stuff? What does it look like for us? Well, Paul is gonna show us right here not only what a spirit-filled child looks like, honor and obedience, but a spirit-filled parent. This is what we are going to look like. I want you to notice what he says in verse four. He says, fathers... Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers, he addresses the fathers here from the very beginning. Verse four is really, we say, okay, is aimed toward the father, but I don't want you to go there so quickly. This phrase father, this word father in the original language is a word that in other places is actually translated to mean both parents. So moms, I don't want you to think that you're not included in the text, but I want you to see this. The reason I think Paul uses fathers here is not because mothers aren't included, but because fathers have the responsibility to lead the way. In light of the fact what we learned a couple of weeks ago that the husbands have the responsibility to spiritually lead the family, here's what that means. When it comes to the discipleship of your children, fathers, you have to lead the way. 
And Paul is addressing this because a lot of times fathers will get caught up in the provision and the working and the career and all of the stuff that do matter within the home and will neglect the most important, which is the discipleship of the family. So he's talking to both parents, but he wants fathers to lead the way. So what is it that we're called to do as spirit-filled parents? What does the Holy Spirit do in our life? Here's two applications. Number one is this, when the Holy Spirit fills us, we will be walking in spirit-empowered godliness. We will walk in spirit-empowered godliness. Look what he says in verse four. He says, fathers, and this is gonna be a negative command, do not provoke your children to anger. Do not provoke your children to anger. In other words, what he's saying is don't parent in an ungodly way with a harshness that's gonna inspire anger in the heart of your kids. Now, parents, I want you to look at me for a second because I'm about to help you not get manipulated. He does not say don't ever make your kids angry because if you parent well, you will make your kids angry. Like you will, there will be moments where there'll be temper tantrums, there'll be moments where they roll their eyes, there are gonna be moments where they're frustrated and that's just a part of growing up and learning how to live under authority. So it's not an idea of don't make your kids angry. What he's saying is don't, Parent in a way that inspires or instigates bitterness, resentment, hatred, or anger in their life by the ungodliness in which you parent. Another way of looking at it is this, Colossians 3.21, he says this, fathers, do not provoke your children, here's why, lest they become discouraged. So our responsibility is to inspire godliness and righteousness and to encourage our children not to discourage our children. And listen, we've gotta learn what happens when we parent in a way that's ungodly or harsh, we're creating bitterness and animosity in the hearts of our children that sometimes don't surface until years later. So how do we do this? Like what are ways that we instigate or inspire anger or discouragement in the heart of our children? Let me give you a couple to write down. One of the ways that we do this is that uh, when we're absent, parents, when you're not present with your children, it creates resentment in their life. Like here, here's, here's the issue. A lot of times with our families, we're not even present when we're present. You smell what I'm stepping in? We're more connected to people on social media than people in our own home. And when you're absent in the life of your children, there will be an anger that grows in their heart. And so sometimes what we do is we justify our absence by saying, well, man, I'm, I've got this business I've got to build and I've got this career that I'm trying to establish. Man, this is for the family and I want to make sure that I'm able to leave my kids, you know, a good inheritance and, and build a nice home and live in a nice neighborhood and we can go on great vacations. And here's what's happening is that you are living your life trying to give everything to your kids they think you, they need, that you think they need except for the one things they absolutely do need, which is you. I've done a lot of funerals over the past 20 something years. And I have never, ever had a family talk to me 
in memory of their father or mother and talk about their inheritance. I've had a lot of families weep and cry and said, man, I just didn't know my dad because he was never home. I wish my relationship with my mom would have been better, but she was so driven in her career and so connected socially that like, even when she was home, she wasn't home. I've seen families weep with tears going, I'm so thankful that my dad was always there. You see, here's the thing. You can leave them an inheritance or you can leave them a legacy. Legacy is what you invest in their life that's gonna outlive you and outlive the wealth. You see, a true legacy is eternal in its nature. So, when you're absent, when you're inconsistent, this is another way that we inspire anger or resentment or discouragement, inconsistency. Inconsistency with how we discipline. So like if you're a parent, it's like, hey, you do that again, you're, you're, gonna, you're gonna get the spanking spoon or you're gonna get time out. Hey, you do that again, hey, you do that again, you do that again. Listen, your kids know they're gonna call your bluff. Then all of a sudden that you reach your max, you flip a lid, you blow up on them, and now they're confused. Why? Because you said 1,900 times you do this again, and you didn't do anything because it was convenient. But when you got angry, all of a sudden now it wasn't acceptable, and now your kids are wondering, wait, I don't even know what's acceptable and what's not. And rather than correcting behavior, you're inspiring anger. Like, like you... There's gotta be, or inconsistency with your expectations of them in comparison to the expectations of you. If you're living by the rule, do as I say and not as I do, and there's inconsistency to a life that you're calling them to and a standard that you're holding them to, and yet you compromise around every corner in your own life, but yet you're preaching to them and telling them this is the expectation, here's what you need to know. That inconsistency, they see it, they may not say it. And here's what they think, mom and dad are frauds. They talk out of both sides of their mouth. They're not the same way at church they are at home. And what's gonna happen is, is that bitterness and resentment and discouragement grows in their home. Inconsistency, here's another one, antagonistic. Parents, when you begin to behave like your children, so I know that in parenting, emotions run high. I've been guilty of this, emotions run high and all of a sudden, rather than staying as an adult above the emotions, I enter down into the emotions, and now all of a sudden, there's this push back and forth, and guess what? As a parent, we know eventually we get the final word, right? And so rather than just being the adult and working through it and being the one that calms the emotion, we all of a sudden will say things, and it'll go back and forth until it starts getting really uh, escalated, and then all of a sudden, we kind of shut the thing down. But the truth is, watch this, we are holding them accountable to a fire that we started. Antagonistic parents lead to great resentment. When you refuse to listen, leads to anger, resentment, and dis discouragement. And listen, I, can I just confess, this is the area that I've had to grow in the most as a parent. I told you before, I'm a fixer by nature, and I have, and I have a tendency to wanna control. The Lord has had to free me of that. There's one thing that I've learned is that I cannot be in control of everything, nor does anybody need me to be in control of everything. But I've had to grow in this, this, this area of listening to my children. 
And here's how it plays out in my life is that, that my kids, I mean, they, they, they walk in in disobedience or rebellion, or maybe they're just going through something hard and they're trying to work through it, and they begin to talk about how they feel. And here's where the panic button hits for me is that oftentimes how a child feels and what they believe are not the same things, but they're too young and immature to realize the difference between what they feel and what they believe. And so they start talking about how they feel as if they believe it. I hit the panic button. I shut them down and tell them why they're wrong and why they shouldn't believe that way, and I start getting preachy to them, but the truth is I have not heard their heart. And so what I've got to do is I've got to listen. And this is something I've had. My girls have taught me more about this than, than anything else, anyone else in my life. And here's what I've learned. Listen to this. How your child feels is not necessarily what they believe, regardless of how they communicate how they feel. And so what I need to do as a parent is I need to listen because when I squelch, when they begin to open up and I begin to throw the gauntlet down, no, 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 I said, you just be quiet and you listen. I'm gonna tell you and we're gonna set things straight. No, no, I don't care how you feel. Don't, don't suck it up, don't cry. I don't want you to talk to, this is, I'm the rule keeper in this house and you're gonna do what I say. When we parent like that and we don't have, give an opportunity for our kids to process what they're feeling and thinking with us, they will process that somewhere else. So when I parent my child and I realize what they feel and what they believe aren't the same thing, but they're confusing what they feel and what they believe, if I will just listen and ask questions, I will then get a platform to help them understand what they feel is not truth and help them distinguish between that. But if they're confused about what they feel and what they believe and I shut them down because I'm uncomfortable with that, it's not as if the conversation ends, it only ends with me. And then all of a sudden culture begins to fill in the blank, which is why there are so many kids that are confused today. Here's the second thing about that. How they feel is not necessarily reality. So a lot of times I've shut down listening to my kids because they'll say things like, you always, you, you never. Any kids, any parents have a kid say that? It's always like this. I'm like, always? Like we had fun yesterday. What are you talking about, always? But here's what, I, my, my, my knee-jerk reaction is to shut them down in what they feel in the moment because they're painting their feelings as if it's reality and I wanna tell them what reality is. But if I just let them process that, then I can start asking questions and they're gonna come to the conclusion that what they feel and reality aren't the same thing. We just need to work through what they feel. Now, th this dialogue, this listening doesn't mean that I become subservient to my children. It doesn't mean that I allow disrespect or, or emotional outbursts or they can just say whatever they wanna say. No, you can teach your kids how to have healthy dialogue because guess what? That's something that they learn. It'll carry them the rest of their life. But if we respond emotionally to their emotional response, then all of a sudden now we only know how to operate emotions. You don't believe me, just turn on the news. That's how our world lives right now. Here's another one. When we are unwilling to own our failures and hold ourselves accountable when we're wrong. Parents, I want you to see me, look up at me and hear me say this, listen to this. 
one of the most powerful things I've ever done in parenting is when the Lord taught me that the most gospel-centric thing that I can do for my children at times is to get below them and to look them in the eye and say, I was wrong. Dad blew it. I've asked Jesus to forgive me, and he has. I'm asking you to forgive me. I need Jesus just like you. And I just want you to know that what I did, what I said, how I responded was not right, and I'm sorry, and I'm asking you to forgive me. See, here's what's happening in this moment. You are modeling what gospel transformation looks like. What you are saying to them is, look, I need Jesus as much as you do. And this is how we respond when we're, we're not following Jesus, when we walk in disobedience. This is what it looks like. This is what it looks like, watch this, to hold tightly to the gospel. Why? Because I went to Jesus and he forgave me because in him my sins have already been cleansed. And so now I have the freedom to look at you and ask for your forgiveness as well. But we forfeit this gospel moments when in arrogance and pride, we refuse to humble ourselves. And then our kids don't know how to handle failure because they've never seen it modeled. This is huge. Which leads me to the second byproduct of the Holy Spirit is not just spirit-empowered godliness, but spirit-empowered discipleship. Spirit-empowered discipleship. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, so that's the negative, here's the positive, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, bring them up is a word or a phrase that literally means to nurture or to nourish. So the command here is, listen, rather than creating an environment that inspires anger, resentment, and bitterness, and and discouragement, cultivate an environment that produces spiritual growth. Like, this is something we cultivate. We nurture our kids, like, watch this, toward Jesus. We're providing opportunities within our home for our kids to grow in their relationship with the Lord. And by the way, this is present, active, imperative. Present means continual all the time. Active means you do it. Imperative means it's a command. So we as parents are always on. Every moment, every interaction, there is this call that God has given us through the Holy Spirit to cultivate Jesus in the heart of our children. That's what our call is. It's not to just build homes and drive good cars and have careers. It is to cultivate Christ in the heart of our child. And listen, there's no time away and there's no time off. How do we do that? There's two words he uses here. First is the discipline of the Lord. Discipline. Second is instruction of the Lord, discipline of the Lord. What does discipline mean? Do something if you would, if, you, if you're a note taker in your Bible, I want you to do something, circle the word discipline and beside it, I want you to put the word training, training, because that's what the word means. Somewhere along the way, we think that discipline means punishment. But as parents, listen, your heavenly father does not punish you when you sin. If you're in Christ and you have been saved, Your heavenly father does not punish you when you sin. You know why? Your elder brother Jesus received the punishment in your place. You have been forgiven of that transgression. You see, punishment is about justice. Justice has been provided by Jesus. 
what our heavenly father does is in love, he disciplines us. There are consequences for our sin, but the consequences for our sin is not punishment for our sin, it's training so that we would learn that God's way is better than our way. So whenever we fail, sometimes here's what God will do. He will say, okay, I'm gonna let sin run its course in your life. What is he doing? Is he punishing me? No, he's not punishing you. He is letting you feel the weight of the consequences of your sin because God wants you to know that in fellowship with him, his way is better than your way. He will bring hardships into your life, not to punish you, but to train you in godliness. And so if that is how our heavenly father disciples us, then isn't that how we should disciple our children? We don't punish them, we discipline them. There are consequences for their behavior, but that consequence needs to be training them toward Christ's likeness, not punishing them because we don't like what they did. And this takes intentionality and focus because the whole goal of parenting, watch this, is not to break the will of your children, it's to shape the will of your children. It is discover who they are in Christ. The, the, the psalmist says it like this. He says, like arrows in the quiver of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. What he's saying is this, that your children, listen to this, they're like an arrow being pulled out of the quiver in the hand of a warrior. Listen to this, watch this. This is so, so huge. Your children are meant to be launched onto the mission of God. See, some of you parent like boomerang parents and not arrow parents. And now they're back, right? Warriors launch their arrows and never intend them to come back. Why? Because there's an intended target and they're striving to hit the mark. There is an intended target for your children you know what's cool about this whole analogy of the archer? In this particular day, an archer would be familiar with his bow and he would take the arrow, and listen to this, the wood had a natural bent. And as they shaped the arrow to fly straight, they worked with the natural grain and bent of the arrow so that when it was completed, it took what was naturally there and shaped it in such a way that it could fly straight. When you discipline your kids, here's what you're doing. You're discovering their natural bents and you're shaping them to fly to whatever target God is gonna send them to. This means you have to get to know your children. You gotta know their gifts and their abilities. You gotta know how God's wired them. I've got three children. McKenna, um, all her life, this has been kind of a character trait of hers. She is a, she is a woman of justice. She is very much like up to speed on right and wrong. Like she has always been a rule follower, like this is right, this is wrong, I don't like tolerating what's wrong, I wanna address what's wrong, she's very articulate, and so she and I have a lot of like the, the same kind of personality, so we butt heads some, but there's this sense of justice and right and wrong, this is true, this is false, and we should do everything we can to communicate what is right, so this is her natural bent. So here's the thing, left in her flesh, she's self-righteous and judgmental. We used to say when she was younger, she would have made an amazing Pharisee, amazing Pharisee. My son Noah is a natural defender. He's a natural defender. Like he, he's always had this, this idea, even before he hit a growth spurt, he was always long, uh, uh, the shortest guy. And 
He didn't care. If there was someone being picked on, he was going to stand up for the person being picked on. And he's still like that to this day. A couple, weeks, a couple months ago, we were driving to a ball game, and we stopped at ATM. There was a car in front of us that had broken down at the ATM, and there was a guy and his wife, and he was trying to push the car up this hill to get it out of our way. And so Noah's like, I'm going to go help. He jumps out to help, and as he goes out to help, this car is on an incline. The guy loses his footing. The door is open, catches him. The guy falls, knocks him out cold, and this car is about to run over him. And I'm like looking and, and knowing, I'm like, what is he gonna do? He didn't run from the car. He runs to the car, dives in head first, hits the brake, throws it in park, and then drags the man out from under the car. And I'm like, that's awesome. <laughs> and my wife was like, is he okay? I'm like, yeah, he's okay. This is amazing. But listen to this. That type, we need those type of men protectors, defenders. But those type of men, if they're unbridled, can become very dangerous. So I don't wanna break him of that, I wanna shape him in that. My youngest, Micah, she is compassionate. Like she literally wants to find the person who doesn't have a friend and try to be sweet to them. The other day we were at a store, and we, a restaurant, and we couldn't leave until we gave people outside who were needing some money. We had to give them some money. She's like, we're not leaving until we do this. Why? Because her heart, she's just like, I can't sleep tonight if this family doesn't get something. But here's the thing. If Micah's left to the emotions, she'll make a lot of decisions with her heart and not her mind. And you can compromise a lot in this life if you live by your heart and not your mind. So I want her to lose her heart. No, I want to shape it. And so as a parent, this is what our calling, my mother spoke this over to me, my mom's back there. I'll never forget, I got in trouble big time in high school. I had spoken up about something that was wrong in our school. And I was right, but I was wrong. I was right in my conviction. I was right in what I said. I was wrong in how I said it and, how, and who I said it to. And I got in some major trouble. And I'll never forget going, Mom, this is not right. Like I, what I said was true. And here's what she said. She said, son, your greatest gift is gonna be your greatest weakness if you don't get it in check. And then she encouraged me. She says, you've got an ability to speak to people in a way that's clear and compelling with conviction. And if you'll surrender it to Jesus, he'll do great things. But if you don't, it'll destroy you. What was she doing in that moment? She's taking the bent of the arrow so that it would fly straight. We do this in instruction. What is instruction? It's simply to drip the Bible in everything. Drip the Bible in everything. When our kids come to advice, it needs to be biblical advice. When they come for counsel, it needs to be biblical counsel. When they're needing to be corrected because of behavior, it needs to be biblical correction. Wisdom, the word of God, the gospel, reminding your kids of who they are in Christ. This is why in Deuteronomy, Moses says this in chapter six, these words I give to you today are to be upon your hearts, parent. In other words, you gotta own it. And then he says, and then talk about it when you walk, walk along the way, when, you, when you're lying down, when you rise up. In other words, let every part of your life in your parenting, let God's word flow from you into the life of your children. And when this happens, what happens is we are able to model for them what this looks like. See, listen, your faith is gonna be more caught than taught. And a lot of times the reason your kids can't hear what you say is because your actions are louder than your words. If we model God's word for our children and we speak God's word into the life of our children, all of a sudden God's word begins to take a root in their life and they grow and they mature 
in Christ. And, and, and here's the bottom line, parents. Eyes right here for a second. We must parent toward eternity. And here's the most sobering thought today. You ready for it? Your kids will stand before Jesus one day. Your kids will stand before Jesus one day. And on that day, he will not care about their GPA. He will not care about their shooting percentage or their batting average. He will not care what college they attended or what degree they obtained, how much money they made, or how popular they were. On that day, their life will be measured by one thing. What did they do with Jesus? That's it. And what if parents, what if that became the aim? What if we cared more about raising spiritual champions than state champions? What if there was more emphasis on helping our children store up treasures in heaven than accolades on earth? What if the legacy that you left your children were not defined by all the material possessions or even the memories of extravagant trips? What if the legacy you left was the spiritual investment that will outlive you for generations? This is the call. And I'm telling you, this week wrecked me. Yesterday, finishing up this sermon, I'm telling you, I sat in my office at home and I got emotional. I tell my kids all the time, I love you more than life itself. And those are not just words. And the older I get, the more I'm becoming aware that the greatest gift I could give my children is a front row seat to what it looks like to be a man that's in love with Jesus. I'm a front row seat to an imperfect man pursuing a perfect savior who fails they get to watch the transforming work of Jesus in my life. And I got thinking yesterday, I hope one day, maybe when my life is over, my kids would reflect and they would say things like, I was always there. He never missed a game. He loved our mom well. I beg the Lord that my kids can say one day, No one ever believed in me. 
more than my dad. But more than any of that. But I want my kids to be able to say about me one day. My dad loved Jesus forever. Because of that, we love Jesus forever. You would think after three services, I'd not be emotional. We have the greatest privilege as parents. The greatest responsibility. But here's the thing. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do it. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do this. And we can see generations transformed. Amen? Here's what I want to do. I want to pray a blessing over you. And I want to turn it over to Pastor Derek for some final announcements and words. And here's what I would encourage you. Parents, take time today. If your kids are still at home, pray for them. Pray with them. If your kids are gone, send them a text. Ask the Holy Spirit what to say. And just speak into them. And ask the Holy Spirit calls you to be the parent and grandparent and the future parent that he wants you to be. Father, we give this time to you and ask that your word would help us become this type of church made of these type of families. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Derek, you come.